think we need to find our last clue. The mail's here. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Here's your letter. Thanks. We just got a letter. 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 Wonder who it's from. I, too, have been here 23 years. And uh, it is a reminder I've been here when it was glory hole days, and I've been here when it wasn't. And so having said that, uh, uh, I want me some glory hole. It's a letter from our friends. How about them cowboys? Indeed. You have questions, we have answers on a special mailbag jamboree edition of About Them Cowboys here on The Athletic. Hope everyone had a safe and fulfilling weekend celebrating the 4th, full of fun, sun, and, of course, Hamilton. But now, it's time to talk cowboys. I'm Kent Garrison, producer slash stagehand of the podcast. Excited to welcome in three guys who will guide you to the brave new world of America's team. And remember, you can follow along with all of our coverage here in every sport at The Athletic. Secure your subscription now. It's good through July of 2021 at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. 40% off theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. Get on it and uh, join us. But now, I'm excited to welcome in our panel. For the first time, he's the host of the Cowboys pregame, postgame shows on Cowboys Radio. You've heard him on Sirius XM, and I'd say he's the Aaron Burr of the podcast because he lays down the law. It's Ari Temkin. Welcome to the show, Ari. So we are going to be reviewing Hamilton then on this show because I did stay up late. I mean, I did the most patriotic thing you could do on Independence Day, which is watch the full Hamilton play. So that was uh, that was my civic duty right there. Same. Same. We'll get to... Uh, <laughs> Our next guy and ask ask what what he <laughs> so we're just talking all Hamilton about. today basically. Well, we'll we'll see. <laughs> to be continued. He needs no introduction. I'm going to introduce him anyway. He's the George Washington of the podcast because he's founding father John Mishoda. See what I did there? <laughs> you know I didn't watch Hamilton. Uh, I knew that was just going to be a setup. <laughs> this is so not something I would watch. Uh, but you do know who George Washington is. <laughs> I know who George Washington is. <laughs> I'm over, you guys are watching, you guys are watching stuff like that. I'm over here watching King of Staten Island. So sorry. <laughs> Nothing really patriotic coming from my end here. Dude, King of Staten Island was like so two weeks ago, John. Come on. I'm Hamilton. Sorry. It's, it's all Hamilton right now. That's all, that's all it is. I apologize. <laughs> well, he's back in the hosting chair. He's the Hamilton of the podcast because he's not going to waste his shot. It's Kevin KT Turner. Welcome back. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. That's it, right? It's a pretty much like that. Yeah, it's very Eminem. You you kid, but yeah, I could picture Eminem in the role of Hamilton. (laughs) I feel like Hamilton is something I would turn on and watch, and then get bored with and stop. Okay, so you haven't seen it either. No, I get bored with musicals. Yeah, I feel so much better now. uh, You know, I, I see where you're coming from, but. Hamilton is just a different thing. I turned it on and I was like mesmerized by the thing. I'm like, dude, this is, it's like a rap battle for the entire, for two and a half hours. KT, you're, you're all extremely music. well done. It's like, holy crap. 
all of this came from one dude. It's like it blew my mind. Like, yeah, more yeah. than anything, it's just like it, I was kind of jaw dropped at the thing. Um, yeah. No, and KT, I mean, you're you're a music fan. I I had I never saw the play. I never saw it on Broadway. Never saw it when it came on on tour. And just I listen to the music. I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but the music is so good. And there's a lot of rap in there. It's hip hop. It's it's very well done. So I would KT check out the music because I think you'll dig it. Okay, what platform do I have to purchase or get a free trial of to? Uh... <laughs> I don't know anywhere you can stream music. Is it Disney? Yeah, Disney iTunes, Plus, Spotify. Oh yeah, Disney Plus to get the movie. I'm just saying, just just check out the music. Just listen to the soundtrack oh, okay. first. Okay, because oh, yeah. that will give you an intro to what it's all about. Okay, I'm in. Okay, I'm, I've, there's enough buzz around it, so like I'm I'm all about it. Um, so I, I do want to give John uh, – first of all, Ari, thanks for, for, for joining us. I've had the chance to work with Ari for uh, many years uh, back when I worked at the old station. Reunited and, uh, some... <laughs> and it feels so good. Is that song in Hamilton? <laughs> um, so I, John Mishota and Bob Sturm did this cool little project where they're just drafting the all-time greatest cowboys of all time. Uh, all-time again, repeatedly saying all-time a lot. And they drafted these teams – and then, you know, okay, so Bob goes on the hard line and he's kind of doing his thing. And Bob spent all the time and he's like, I dunked on John. No, nah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, I didn't hear it, but because I'm usually on the air at the same time he is. But Bob, I've heard, I didn't hear it. I've heard Bob was saying uh, that he had a better team than John. I was so pleased when I went to this mailbag piece on The Athletic that Bob and John are both answering questions from subscribers of The Athletic. But they're kind of – Bob and John are kind of sniping at each other. So then I was like, okay, this is awesome. How are we ever going to know? Well, then Mike Sando of uh, the Athletic National uh, goes and does this project out of nowhere. I had no idea this was in the works. And he gets all these like football experts and former executives and people who have uh, been a part of the league for a long time. And they look at both teams <laughs> and they end up going, all in all – I like John Michelle's team better. So I just kind of like that we've got a little friendly competition. Maybe it's me, like, without sports. I'm like, yes. Oh, you know, I still like that stuff, you know. Um, but, John, I just wanted to give you a second to defend yourself or defend your team or, or to gloat uh, because uh, the the national experts did choose your team over Bob's. Yeah, so th- this wasn't by design. It just the way it ended up drafting out. When you only have two people drafting, it's I mean, it's going to take away a little bit of suspense. So I was like – I mean, as long as you're not a complete idiot, you're going to have a decent team. The Cowboys from 1960 until 2019 have a lot of really good players. I would probably put their organization up against anybody's when you're looking at it that way. Um, And then we get done. And like, so Bob's team is a lot more of the 90s Cowboys and mine's a lot more of the basically Tom Landry Cowboys. And so I'm like, yeah, it's going to be hard to compare or whatever. But then he just starts kind of running his mouth about how like his team would blow my team out in a game. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know about that. Like I literally, like when you break down, I had more all pros, more hall of famers. Like I had over half the ring of honor. Um, But it was like, again, it's like, how are you going to compare Bob Lilly and Randy white to some of these guys nowadays? And so it was just funny because I knew that he would, that Mike was working on this piece and I knew he was going to talk to a couple NFL execs and I knew he was going to talk to some coaches, but I didn't know any of them would go on the record. And one that went on the record is Howard Mudd, who, was a Pro Bowl player um, back in the late 60s. And then he's a longtime uh, NFL offensive line coach. Probably the most famous he's for is that he was basically the offensive line coach in Indy the entire time Peyton Manning was there. But I mean, he's worked with the Eagles too. I mean, so he's gone against these Cowboys teams. So 
I was like looking at him like, I know there's these three guys that are going to evaluate this. I'm like, as long as at least one of them picks my team, I'll feel like confident that I won't get, I would never get blowed out. Cause I didn't think that was, that was going to happen either. But, um, for all three of them, all to say my team was better. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty funny. Like how'd you get Sean Payton as your offensive coordinator, Bill Parcells as your defensive coordinator. So what, what happened is, uh, before now see, that's a lot of things. A lot of this was all mapped out before we even drafted. And so, uh, one of the criteria was that we were going to have a three-man coaching staff, one head coach, one offensive coordinator, one defensive coordinator, and they could be anybody that's coached with the Cowboys, but you know, obviously you're not going to pick Bill Parcells, your offensive coordinator. It's going to be something that that's their area of expertise. And so I felt like if I was doing a list of who was the most impressive coaches that the Cowboys have had, I was like, okay, it's going to be Landry, Jimmy Johnson, and then I think it's Bill Parcells, and I really don't think it's close at all with anybody else. So I had the first pick at the second round. So I immediately took Landry because I knew that, okay, Bob's going to take Jimmy Johnson. I can come back and I get Parcells. I at least get two out of the top three. And then I didn't take Sean Payton until the end because he came back with North Turner. And I was like, I knew I wanted Sean Payton the entire time because I had this older team that, you know, people on Twitter and things like that are going to be like, yeah, these are old, old guys. Well, it makes it a lot cooler when all those old guys are being coached by Sean Payton because everybody knows he's right. this offensive genius. Like I have Tony Dorsett and Ezekiel Elliott on my team. Like, Sean Payton is going to find a way to get both those guys on the field. I mean, just look up some of the stuff that he did with Kamara and Ingram. Like, and obviously I'm not saying either one of those guys that fits exactly with Kamara, but like he would find a way to get Zeke. I mean, my backup, one of my backup quarterbacks, I have Danny White and, and Dak behind Roger Staubach. I'm like, Sean Payton would find a way to get Dak out there with one of those other quarterbacks. Like yep. Sean Payton has just got this crazy offensive mind. So that's why I picked Sean Payton. It was one of my like later picks or whatever, but that was basically the criteria. It could be anybody, any coach, as long as they coach with the Cowboys and some of those older uh, like a Howard Mudd, I think suggested that like someone should have taken Dan Reeves, you know, um, as one of their yeah. offense coordinators, you know, Mike Ditka coach there. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Mike uh, Zimmer. Yeah. Mike Zimmer's another one. Yeah. That's good. Oh, uh, yeah. Ernie Zampezi. I know was suggested by some of them, but I don't know it was just fun, but it, it was like, yeah. Bob took it to another level with the trash talk. And so I was just like, I'm <laughs> definitely not getting blown out, but if you think you have a little bit better team, whatever, I'm not going to argue. I mean, it's 53 man rosters over, you know, however many years, you know, who had How many the worst? Years have they been pick? around six years. Who had the Almost worst pick years? in the draft? Um, I don't when think I there was really it, any worst picks. I don't think there was any that I thought you, was wild. It was yeah, terrible. If you Dak, had to name one, Dak though, getting picked. If you had to, what would it be? Worst pick to me, it was Her- unbiased. Herb Scott. <laughs> it was who? Herb Scott. Uh, again, who? <laughs> Left guard. Oh, that, what year did he play, John? Because that's the only name on the roster that I didn't even know. Well, yeah, he played in the 60s and 70s. But, I mean, it's like when you look at it, like he'd been, uh, I think, three or four Pro Bowls. So it's like there's just one. Okay, this is one one thing that I'll point out real quick because we don't have to talk about this too much. But, like, it's so hard to quantify, like, an offensive lineman back then to offensive lineman today. Well, Howard Mudd played with those offensive linemen. Howard Mudd then coached against those offensive yeah. linemen. And he's sitting there talking about how – like, cause today, like if you look at the, the history of the Cowboys, you ask an everyday Cowboys fan, they're gonna be like, Tyron Smith is one of, if not the best defensive, I mean, offensive tackles that this team's ever had. He's like, yeah, Tyron's probably third behind Rayfield Wright and Eric Williams, who I had both of. Because people forget about how good Eric Williams was because it was a little bit shorter sample size. He got in that car accident, banged, banged up his knee. People think if that doesn't happen, like people that I trust that have watched those teams closely, that Eric Williams might go down as one of the greatest, if not the, you know, best offensive tackles ever because he had that type of skill. So, you know, if you take like another one, Travis Frederick, like is Travis Frederick really, when I put together my all-time Cowboys starting lineup, the toughest position for me was center because you can put Travis Frederick, but then you can also put Mark Stepnowski because they both went to five Pro Bowls 
And one guy was, you know, Frederick was the the center for a team that won three rushing titles. Mark Stepnowski was the center for a team that won three Super Bowls. So it's like, I can understand if anybody goes either way on that. But most people that watch the team now will be like, Travis Frederick's the best center they've ever had. Well, compared to what? Like some of the comments I saw on Twitter, I was kind of like, do you guys know that like when Jerry Jones purchased the team, he, he wasn't the founder of the team. They played football before that. At like a crazy high level, like in a 17-year stretch, they went to the NFC Championship game 12 times. It's absurd. Like I know they only won two Super Bowls during that time, but still, can you imagine if this current team in a 17-year stretch went to 12 NFC Championship games? They haven't been able to get back to the NFC Championship game in 25 years to go to 12 in 17 years. Like that, I, and, and one of the things I'm going to blame this on is I don't think that at the stadium they do enough to like kind of honor the history of this team. They do at the star with that. Like when you can walk around the star, you see all the yeah. numbers retired and stuff. You go to the stadium, all there is is the Ring of Honor, and that's it. Like, and then there's the Tom Landry statue outside, but there's not like you walk around, like, there's some pictures up and stuff like that. But, like, I just feel like a lot of teams that have the history of the Cowboys would have like other statues, like almost statues all the way around, like everybody from the Ring of Honor outside yeah. the stadium and things like that. But I don't know why that isn't, but pre Jerry, you said it right, it's all yeah. pre Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, look at the Ring of Honor. If you're ever at the right. stadium and you didn't know this, just make sure you look up at the Ring of Honor. All of the guys that have been with the Cowboys since Jerry Jones are on one side, and then all of the guys and uh, on the other side are all the guys that were there before Jerry. And so, I mean, they, I'm not saying they don't do anything to honor them, but right. no, you're right. the Cowboys history is crazy good, man. Yeah, no, no you're right. Because you look at both of those teams, like offense and defense, so you're, you're like, wow, that'd be hard to stop. But I would think, I, I think um, watching The Last Dance – when they got footage of the late Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant has a comment about how stupid it is to compare him to Michael Jordan or to compare LeBron to Michael Jordan. He was like, it's a different era, like a whole different time. It's a, it's like, well, people take that stuff seriously. It's like, no, no. And then by people, I just mean like fans and things like that or whatever. Occasionally it's like, like those conversations are fun to have, but they're also no way you can measure it. Uh, you know, but I thought you and Bob both had excellent teams. Which proves that you and Bob, uh, neither of you are idiots. Uh, we can say that 100%. I know that. Um, but I, the reason I, I did go there, and I was just being goofy talking about you and Bob trash talking or whatever. <laughs> is, but I was, was going through the mailbag. I was like, some questions. Um, and I got some questions. I also got some questions from Twitter. Uh, but I want to start with this one. I got this one. This is from the mailbag. This is from Wesley. What should we expect in terms for C.D. Lamb's impact on the offense this season? Uh, I'll let John, I'll let you start and then already have your thoughts. Uh, what should you expect from a first round wide receiver, CD lamb, uh, in this, uh, rookie season? Yeah. I mean, wide receiver is a position that it's not always, you know, the best guys in college immediately step in and have a lot of success. I mean, there's a lot of years where the, all the receivers in the first round ended up being bust and a lot of them in, in the recent years. So, um, if there was a full off season, you know, I would say that CD Lamb has a chance to, you know, be one of the, even the better receivers in the league because I think he's in a great situation. Not having the regular offseason, I just think that, you know, his acclimation, I guess, is probably going to be stunted a little bit, you know, just getting acclimated to everything that they're going to do. Um, but with that being said, I, I do think that he has the talent and I think he has the team that he's on that if things click for them, that we're able to play football and that there aren't, you know, 20 guys testing positive for COVID-19 and they have a relatively full roster out there. Uh, I think he's going to put up huge numbers. Cause I just, I don't think that he needs, I don't think he, like, there's one thing if like, let's say, you know, you're going after a big receiver who 
best attributes were like, he's just a jump ball guy. And you're like, well, if he doesn't get his timing down with Dak, then that might not click right away. It may t- take a couple of years. But like with CD Lamb, like I see them throwing to him like in the flat, throwing to him five yards in front of the line of scrimmage and him turning it into 25, 30 yard gain because there's just so many weapons that the defense has to honor there. And so I, I don't know. I think that he couldn't have landed in a better spot. I think he could have a huge year. I don't know what their practices are going to look like and how much they can get caught up and things like that. But if they, those three receivers can all get on the same page, I think CD lamb could have a huge year and be up for offensive rookie of the year. And certainly, you know, I think guys, he's a guy that can, you know, eventually move around the formation and play everywhere. Um, I, I certainly seems like maybe they're going to simplify things for him this year, use him out of slot primarily, you know, maybe he returns kicks and punts. I know we, you know, we dealt with that with Des when he was, you know, young in the league, being playing at both those spots. But I think that's certainly up for it. But John and KT, I, I'm curious, like, this is such a weird off season, right? Like, so John, normally at this point, how many, you know, we've seen some practices. We've talked to players in the locker room, you get a sense of what, you know, is CD just running out of the slot? Is he running around the formation? Is Cheeto Ouzier going to switch from, you know, corner to safety. We heard rumors of that. It's like, these are things that if a regular OTA were going on, we would at least hear about them or see some of the things happening at practice. We haven't seen any of that. It's this crazy football coaches love secrecy, but that's what I find to be so kind of amazing about this is nobody knows anything. And if you don't show anything in the preseason, I mean, this team with a new coach and new coaching staff could basically look like nobody will have any idea what what they're going to look like. And that's a good point too, on the not knowing what to expect, because even when they do go and eventually do start training camp, like I, I'm really under this impression that there's not going to even be a lot access. of yeah. offense going against defense though. Yeah. Like I can yeah, even yeah. see just the offense, like running on air and stuff like that. Cause the, the thing that I keep going back to, and I know it's a new coaching staff. I am very confident that's what would be going on if Jason Garrett was still here. And the reason why I say that is because I've always felt like the number one goal for the Cowboys in training camp under Jason Garrett was let's try and get as to the start of the season as healthy as possible. Like I like, let's get everything, you know, let's get everybody working on the offense and defense and stuff like that. But let's not put guys in too many situations that where they could potentially get hurt. Like the number one thing is just get to the week one as healthy as possible. Well, right now, and if that's still the way the Cowboys are doing business, if that's the way Mike McCarthy believes the same thing, which I could see that being the case, then if that is, if, if the number one goal is to get as many guys to week one, then the best way to do that is having guys separated from each other as much as you can possibly do while still running a football practice. And, and and for me, one of the ways you do that is you don't have a lot of guys scrimmaging, going, you know, first team offense against, you know, first team defense. Right. Right. You know, and another thing that I would say too, you do have one thing that kind of keeps the cohesiveness and that's just Kellen Moore uh, and calling right. plays and things like that. Like that stays, but I was doing a little research and looking through, some of the good rookie years from wide receivers uh, over the last few years. And one player that popped up was Amari Cooper. Yeah. Amari Cooper in his rookie year with Oakland had 72 catches. He had Michael Crabtree on that team, if you remember, was kind of the wide receiver one at 85 catches. And then, you know, outside of that, you start looking at like who's the number three wide receiver. You know, like you get into like the Seth Roberts, you know, part of the world, you know, that type of – Area like I think that's a the Cowboys that clearly would have a better threesome there. Um, when you're talking about the wide receivers, but one thing I was thinking like 72 catches, okay, I could see Amari Cooper getting into the 80 to 85 range that Michael Crabtree was at, and I could see 
CeeDee Lamb maybe not getting to 70 catches just because a lot of it without an offseason, but also Michael Gallup is going to get some targets and catches. And I think that's going to divvy up a little bit more. I think anywhere between that, you know, to answer Wesley's question, like what can you expect? I truly think Cooper will still be the number one and kind of you know treated like the number one in a frame of 80, 80 or so balls. And then I think you start kind of messing around in that 60 to 70 range for both Gallup and both C.D. Lamb. And I think probably Jarwin's catches are 20 or 30 less than what Witten's had. You know, we've seen with Witten over the past few years. That's just kind of my my estimate. But it's funny when you talk about this team, I not I don't have too many question marks about the offense, not only on, on how I think they'll perform, and two, just kind of how they're going to try to get down. I know Mike McCarthy and Jason Garrett, the big switch, but I don't think it's going to be too crazy different on offense. It's the defense where all the question marks come up and I at every position group. And we'll talk about that later on. But for the offense, I, I feel pretty confident. I know what they are. And I think, I think, uh, you know, CD Lamb just adds another, you know, it's just a, another angle to that offense that could make it a little more explosive than it's been. Right. So, I don't like know if it's 80 year. catches for him, but I, like, I, I think 60 or, or so is a pretty good number. Remember last year, it was like, we didn't get Tony Pollard enough touches. You know, so you start going down all the different guys you just named, and it's like, well, how about Pollard and Zeke and the, the rumors about Ngakwe? Like, how many footballs do they play with? You kidding? With Ngakwe? What? But, I mean, you're right, KT. The offense is not the concern. There's going to be production there. And I think, you know, in terms of just the differences potentially between – Garrett McCarthy. I mean, the hope is that he's going to be utilizing some of these modern trends and metrics in terms of guiding play calling and decision making, you know, and, and I think that's yeah. what we didn't see, obviously, from Garrett effectively enough. And, um, and that I think will be, even if they run a similar offense, but, but just knowing how to leverage certain downs and distances in certain situations where, you know, your, your trends are going to go and use your analytics better. I think that's, that's going to be the biggest key for this offense and biggest question mark, I guess, because that's really not something McCarthy did well in Green Bay. Yeah. I, I was pulling back to 2016 because as good as Dak was and as good as Ezekiel Elliott were that year, one of the things that really helped them is they were just unpredictable because you'd gone so long with seeing this offense that Jason Garrett had run with Tony Romo and Des Bryant, guys like that, Witten. And then all of a sudden you turned into this offense that you were seeing read options and you were seeing just different things because you could run your quarterback. And I think that that had a lot to do with their success in 2016 because yeah. it allowed them to get momentum early in the season. And then they just built off that. And obviously the team was young, you know, and they're still young right now. They're having a lot of fun and they just built off that. But I thought that that was a key piece and why they were able to have so much success and why really, to be honest with you, I think we look back on that year. I mean, I look back at it now, but I think even five, 10 years from now, and they're like, man, what a missed opportunity that year was. They should have, they should have went farther than they did. But, um, but be, but I think about that a lot lately because I do think that that's one area when people are like, well, how can they be better? Whether it's offense or defense, I think it's because there's going to be, they're going to be unpredictable now. There's not, I mean, that defense, they were playing a similar style defense for a long time. They changed on the back end here or there, but it's still with Jason right. Garrett, it was keep these guys in front of you on the back end. Don't give up big plays. Like the defense, I think is going to give up a few more big plays now. I mean, that's just going to happen, but they're going to make more plays too. So there's that uncertainty. You're not going to know from week to week necessarily what they're doing there. And same thing on offense. You have Kellen Moore, but because you have another offensive guy that's going to bring in something new in Mike McCarthy with his background, I think the uncertainty is, is one of the biggest reasons why you should have optimism, even though they haven't had the OTAs, the mini camps, 
and things like that for us to watch. And, and even with training camp, again, I don't think it's going to look like training camps of years past. Let's go to a defensive angle right here. This came from Nino on Twitter, and it could be Nino, but I didn't see the I didn't see the tilde, so I think it's Nino. <laughs> it stands for the the Nino. Um, how do you see the secondary looking going into camp? Who do you see getting the initial reps at one for the corners and the safeties? Uh, John, I'll let you go ahead and start there. Can I well. just make fart noises first? Because that's my <laughs> response. That's my, yes. fart noises is my response to this question. Sorry, go ahead, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because like with with Jason Garrett, I feel like we we would know if it was similar. Let's say they kept the staff together. I think you could just point to you know Anthony Brown and Cheeto and the guys that they've had experience with. You know, getting a lot of starts. But now that you have a new coaching staff in there, and like I said, I think they're going to be more aggressive on the back end. I think that really opens a door for Jordan Lewis. I see him being in the mix significantly. And then the other one that you would think is Trayvon Diggs, but again, not having that off season that, that you normally would have, you know, how I, he's going to play. There's no doubt in my mind sure. he's going to play. He's got great size, athletic ability, ball skills. That, I mean, that's why you take him where you do and why some thought he'd go even in the late in the first round. So I just don't know if he comes in week one and starts right away. And he's just basically, Hey, you're Byron Jones replacement. We're throwing you right out there. Go get Good it. Luck. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I think right now, if I'm picking, I, I'd say if you're in the nickel to start the season, you go with your experience, you go with Anthony Brown and you go with Cheeto and you go with Jordan Lewis. And, and then on at safety, you go with probably Xavier Woods and Ha Clinton Dix. That just, to me, again, not having this typical off season, I think you go in that direction, but uh, man, I would have loved uh, a previous training camp. Man, one of the best yeah. things to watch there were the uh, when the wide receivers would go against the DBs, and it would just be so much fun to watch Trayvon Diggs and these one on ones go against Amari, go against Gallup, go against CD Lamb, and just kind of see his growth there and where he's at. But because we don't get any of that, it's just tough to predict. So I would go with the veterans. Yeah, I mean, uh, this to me is the biggest concern. I think the question kind of cuts to the core of this: the problems of this team, the secondary in particular. Um, I mean, it wasn't a good secondary last year and lost an all pro player. It's best player. So I don't know how you're, you know, you're getting better. Now it got younger and I'm excited about Trayvon Diggs. I'm excited about Reggie Robinson too. I think people are sleeping on him. I think the issue is these are both, both of these guys are inexperienced in the position, Trayvon in particular. So, I mean, you're talking about a weird off season. We don't know what training camp's going to look like. He's only played the position for three years. So he's still learning the position. It's a hard position to transition to. Like I, I think it's a tough spot for a rookie to try to be starting in the NFL. And I think this is a guy, both these guys, I think have a ton of talent. I, you know, I hope Trayvon can, can, you know, can really step up to the, the, the test this year, because again, it's just a tough transition in a guy that does not experience in that position. And then it's like Cheetos. I mean, he's underperformed. I think he's a guy that seems to be in position consistently and doesn't make plays when, when they're there to be made. Jordan Lewis has the most upside, but even last year, there were times where he just looked lost um anthony brown might be their best returning corner i just don't know what i mean i i understand that they have a slot corner but logan ryan is still available at 10 million bucks they have the money um i, I just think get somebody with experience i the, the secondary is very concerning to me I, I you don't you don't need to be great on offense and great on defense to win a super bowl you just have to be great on one side of the ball but you look at the kansas city chiefs from the year they won the super bowl to the year before their, their defense was so bad, it could the offense couldn't overcome it. And I'm I'm concerned a little bit about that in the back end of this defense of this team this year. 
Well, KT, let me ask you this real quick, because you obviously watch a lot more of the Packers than than we do. What did you think of, you know, the way that Mike McCarthy would use some of those young DBs? Because they were obviously drafting DBs yeah, pretty high. Like, was he throwing them right to the Wolves, or was it kind of one of, I mean, I know Haha Clinton Dix, you know, was out there, but like the Kevin King, some of those guys, Randalls and those guys, like, was he putting them right out there right away? Yeah, no, he he did, like, put them out there right away. The problem, I mean, with Kevin King couldn't stay healthy is for sure, but they were the, – the problem that I – I don't know if it's a problem. Uh, it ended up kind of being a problem for them with these specific examples is kind of asking guys to play a lot of zone, then go play a lot of man and mix them up. Now we're going to throw you – just mix it up for a little bit. We're going to put you at safety for a minute. And, like, they never found a place for, for example, Josh Jackson as a guy. It was second round pick out of Iowa. Um, just never found a spot for him. Demarius Random Randall yeah, underperformed. Randall. They ended up trading. Uh, they have they had their issues with Haha Clinton Dix at safety. He, they didn't ask him to go play some corner. But I, I got the vibe, and that could just be an organizational thing. But the vibe was like, hey, we're we're drafting these guys for their athletic traits, and we'll figure out if they're a cornerback or a safety. Almost in the same vein that Stephen Jones has talked about Cheeto, like and just like. Off, off, random, off, off comments out of nowhere. He'll be like, "Man, and we know, you know, Cheeto can play safety." It's like, well, we haven't seen it in the NFL yet. But like, I, I'll say this: I don't think Cheeto's a bad player. I don't think anyone thinks Cheeto's a bad player. Right, I agree. I think you take Byron Jones away. Right. I think the, the signing of Anthony Brown was such a shrewd, uh, important off-season signing. There's nothing wrong with going in there with Cheeto, Anthony Brown, and Jordan Lewis and saying, "Hey, it's your job." Go keep your job, and if you lose it, we've got guys ready to go. There's nothing wrong with that, but you really do need that step forward, and you're counting on that. And I think that's part of like the whole, you know, Cheeto's the guy we think we can count on moving forward. Like we think he's going to get better. Uh, I think that too. Uh, I just you wanted to see more last year than you saw. You thought last year was the year where he would really up his game, and it just never happened. And I don't know what the reason is for that. Um, and look, another defensive back coach. Okay, maybe there's a little bit there, you know. Um, you know, Chris Richard was asking these guys to kind of change the way they played a little bit as well. Get someone else in there and let's see what, what works out. I, I know, like, I think you'll have less things about like, well, Jordan's, uh, Jordan Lewis can't play because he's too short. I think you'll see less of that. I think the guys who can play are going to play. Uh, I think McCarthy's been very clear of that. Like, yes. let's get away from thresholds. And let's let the best guys play. I think you'll see that. But, you know, it, when you start going, okay, in the division, I think I can get through it. Okay, but now I have to cover Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and I guess Ted Ginn, I guess the still number three guy for the Saints. Like, now I got to cover that. Okay. And then you look at some of these other teams in the NFC. Um, you know, the 49ers, when they're at full strength, give you so many problems. And that's where, because that's where the standards to me need to be for this team. I think you can go win the division as is and cover the division and get through that. Yeah. Who are these really high end teams in the NFC? Can you go stop them or, or, or you know slow those guys down? And I get nervous. You're going to tell me you're going head to head. Can you slow down the Saints, the Forty Nine ers? The coaching, the coaching is a good point on that because nobody thought Byron Jones was going to end up being hit free agency and be the highest paid quarter in football. Not even Byron Jones thought that. And then you know. Chris Richard comes in and I mean, Byron Jones has basically said that Chris Richard saved his career. And so his style fit what Richard liked. And obviously there was a move from safety back to corner and that, and he took off. So that's a good point. Maybe coaching is something that also helps. Even if it isn't Cheeto, maybe it takes Anthony Brown's game to next level, or maybe Jordan Lewis is even better. Cause I, I can tell you this, like, you know, just being from Michigan, I've watched a lot of 
Jordan Lewis at the University of Michigan. I'm not a fan of the school. I actually root against them harder than any other college football team, but I watched a lot of them. And that dude was making plays like he was yeah. an excellent player. Uh, so maybe the the change to coaches, you know, maybe maybe that does help and spark one of these guys. It certainly seems, though, KT, like they're betting on the front end, helping the def- the back end a lot. I mean, especially at safety, because they basically have two free safeties. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what and, and Clinton Dix, he's a guy that can be a big playmaker. He's, you know, he's picks and fumbles, but he's going to miss a lot of tackles. Like he is not a sure-handed tackler at all. That's why he's been on four teams in three years. Yeah, no, it's uh, he will make you so angry, but he'll make just enough plays to go. Right. Okay, he he, it's. I mean, the, the, to me, the Jeff Heath correlations with him are just so different. But in terms of just how he will frustrate you, but he will somehow make a play every once in a while that makes you go, oh, yeah. You know, like that's – it's pretty amazing to me. And that's – thanks for taking it to the safety position because it was a part of that question uh, that was asked by Nino or Nino. <laughs> uh, still not sure. Um, but like it's pretty clearly Xavier Woods. Like Xavier Woods to me is in the same boat as Cheeto. Like, you got to go take the step. And I thought Xavier Woods did take a small step forward last year, but like, got it. And he was hurt. He gets a little bit of a pass there for, he was hurt, but like, they, they, the way we were talking about him, and really the way they were talking about him, um, was like, hey, uh, you know, like, Xavier Woods should never get compared to Earl Thomas ever, but like, those are the conversations. Go spend a buttload of money on Earl Thomas or, you know, develop the guy. And honestly, to their credit, you don't sign Earl Thomas right there. You, To me, I think the right move is to develop the guy you drafted because you believe in him. You need to see another step out of him. And who knows? Xavier Woods and Cheeto could go have great years and put themselves in a position to go make a lot of money. It really just takes one year and then a team will go, they'll go, you know, spend a lot of money on you. But uh, how Clinton Dix... There will be times where I think you will see Darian Thompson playing because haha Clinton Dix will frustrate you. Dude, people forget that I don't know how much Mike McCarthy had, but I think he did have a lot of say in Green Bay. Like in the middle of a year, the year that he got fired, he just randomly they traded haha Clinton Dix in the middle of the year for like a fourth round pick. Yeah. They just sent him to the Redskins for a fourth round pick when they were still in the playoff race. <laughs> like that just happened, and then he lost his job like three weeks later. Like that's that's an interesting thing to think about. Like to, I got the vibe that Mike McCarthy gave up on the guy, and I was like, "No way, they're they're not going to sign Ha Ha Clinton Dixon." They did, so I thought that's a that's an interesting name to watch on well, defense for sure. They they start off the season with the Rams, Falcons, Seahawks, and Browns. But those are four really good passing offenses with really good receivers. So, I mean, I, I'm just I I think the secondary is a much larger concern than I think a lot of people have right now for it. I I, I just I, I am not. I, did, I was not I was not impressed with it last year. Again, co- hopefully coaching will make a difference. And I, Al Harris is, was a great player, but uh, and, and and Mike Nolan as a defensive coordinator hopefully will be different. But it was just not a very good secondary last year, and they lost the best player in their secondary. And you basically replaced Heath with Clinton Dix. So you haven't – hopefully you've upgraded perhaps, maybe more upside. But Rams, Falcons, Seahawks, Browns, first four teams they play, those are passing offense that can shred them. Another guy, another guy to remember though is is Donovan Wilson, just because you know he had those three interceptions last year in the preseason, and then we didn't like see him for the rest of the year. And then going back to the coaching thing, like you know, you bring over Maurice uh, Lindquist from A and M, who worked with uh, uh, I can't 
who was I just talking about? Wilson. Donovan Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, Wilson, Donovan Wilson. He worked with him for a year. So maybe that opens up something there. You know, maybe, maybe he gets some more opportunities. Again, that's a, that's a player I would be looking forward to in training camp if it was the normal training camp. I don't know how he's going to be utilized here or what, but, uh, I just, I don't know how you go from leading the NFL in interceptions during the preseason and then you just get like no opportunities. So what that told me is that they looked at him as a type of guy that like he's boom or bust. Like he could either have these huge interceptions or he can be in the wrong place and lead to huge plays. And he's only a rookie, but maybe, you know, he can grow into a guy that ends up being a starter for us. So yeah, Donovan Wilson's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. On last week's episode, we were talking about, uh, how crazy 2020 was. And I think the, the the genesis of that was forgetting the Earl Thomas story. Um, but like, and then Saad pointed out, hey, Australia was on fire. Uh, and that's almost been forgotten because 2020 has been so crazy. But you know what else happened in 2020 that I think is somewhat forgotten because of everything? Travis Frederick retired. So I've got a bit of a twofer question right here. A couple on Twitter. I'm going to combine these questions for you. All right, guys. One from uh, Ish Beardworks on Twitter. Oh, the great Adam Ish. Nice guy. Who are the front runners in the left guard and center competitions? And then from Michael on Twitter, how about a fresh unvarnished take on Connor Williams? When drafted, he was coveted by many teams as a mean-spirited tough left tackle who played through the whistle. The knee was the only concern. If he's healthy and stronger now, why could this guy not achieve with the best of them? Uh, And I think those questions kind of play into each other. Um, Unvarnished is a great word, by the way. Unvarnished (laughs) is a great word. (laughs) It is. Um, Again, I'm going to mention the coaching staff just because it's new. So it's not your typical Jason Garrett offensive line, what he's looking for. So who knows what Joel Philbin wants. And, you know, maybe he looks at something a little bit differently. It's tough to, for me to give you a really a scouting por- uh, report on Connor McGovern just because right. we didn't really see anything. He heard his pectoral muscle and training camp and then he re-injured it and we never seen him. I mean, we saw him, but he was out on the other practice field while the, you know, the team was practicing on the indoor and he was, you know, working with trainers and things like that. But like, so it's hard to say that he's going to just come in here and take Connor Williams job. So if I was betting on it, I'd say it's Connor Williams wins the left guard and at center, I'd say Joe Looney. And that's really just because he has experience for starting an entire season at center. Whereas Biotish is a guy that obviously McCarthy loved, wanted to trade up for. So again, if there was a regular off season, I was going to kind of give Biotish the benefit of the doubt, but I just, with this, everything kind of being abbreviated, like just a shortened version you know, not knowing exactly what they're going to get. Why wouldn't you go with Joe Looney, who you can be confident in that, you know, he doesn't need necessarily need all these live reps because we already know what he can do. Whereas like Biotish is going to have to know the offense, know all the calls and all that. And from everything I've been told, that's how he, he was great at all that stuff in college. But again, even in college, you have a better off season than what they're getting right now. And so, yeah, if I'm betting on it right now, I, I think it's Looney is going to be your center. And then Connor Williams, again, is going to be the left guard, but it's certainly going to be a battle between both the Connors for that left guard starting spot. Do you, it was interesting because I, I kind of thought that too at the outset of the off season, but I mean, depending on how, how Williams comes back from the ACL injury, which I mean, he should be fine. Right. I mean, this was a really good offensive line last year. I think they were, you know, great out as fourth on pro football focus and football outsiders. They were like second in adjusted line yards. So I, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that a guy that was a part of that line last year at guard that played what 12, 14 games, whatever he played last year would not fact, I mean, a factor in, especially because with McGovern, it's like we, we haven't seen him. How, how is a guy that we haven't seen with this weird offseason 
you know, gonna, gonna be able to outseat a guy that's been starting here for, you know, ever, since he got here. And I know he hasn't been, you know, great, but I think last year he probably outperformed what a lot of people thought he did. I think he, he kind of gets a bad rap, Connor Williams. It's weird. I think he played a lot better last year than a lot of people think he did. And, and so I just don't, I feel like the Cowboys probably have Looney, Biotish, and maybe even McGovern competing for center. Um, and, and I mean, I agree with John. It's hard to think that a guy that's already played this position with these guys wouldn't already, you know, have the leg up to be, to be starting this year. And, you know, you look for the upside in Biotish or, or McGovern, but it's hard for me to think McGovern can come in here and, and beat out Connor Williams at left guard. The, the other thing that hurts Connor Williams is the success the Cowboys have had with these young offensive linemen. I yeah. mean, you get Lyle Collins as an undrafted rookie free agent because of the things that happened before the draft. You get uh, Travis Frederick, you get Zach Martin, you get Tyron Smith, and it's like, it's, the, it's not like there's a secret that, oh, hey, if you just take offensive linemen in the first round, they turn into pro bowlers and potential Hall of Famers. Like, no, you, I mean, there's a lot of busts that happen in the first right. round, but because they've hit on so many offensive linemen and it's the best position they've drafted, really, since Will McClay has taken over the draft, yeah. I mean, that kind of works against him, too, where you can't just be solid. It's like, wait, they used a high second round pick on this guy. This guy should come in there. And I mean, I'm not saying he needs to be in Pro Bowls, but this is, should be a guy that's really solid and holding his own. And it's like, well, he is also playing out of position. He was a left tackle in, yeah, in college, sure. you know? So um, I will say, I know some people mentioned, you know, potentially moving him back to tackle. I, I see that as more of an experiment before they went and signed Cam Irving to try and be that, like, basically that swing tackle. So, you know they lose Cam Fleming and they sign Cam Irving. I kind of think that those are the trade-off. That's who's your swing tackle going to be. I don't know why you would put a lot of work in there with, with Connor Williams and less, but again, if Joe Philbin thinks, no, no, this guy's a tackle, then maybe they move him there. I just haven't gotten that impression yet. If Connor McGovern though, is a better interior lineman than Cam Irving is a tackle, then I do want, you know, Connor Williams being my swing tackle. Right. He's my starting left guard, but he's also my swing tackle. You know, mm-hmm. in, in case something happens to, to Tyron, which we have to be leery of. I, I want to go back to at the center just for one second. Do you guys remember the 2018 season? Remember how that started with Travis out and Joe Looney at center? They go into Carolina. They lose that game 16 to 8. They then beat the Giants in week two, and I think they put up 20 points. And then week three, they lost to Seattle 24 to 13. And that was a very, like a snooze fest of a game. Uh, and I just kept remembering, okay, all the interviews, well, what are the what are the questions? And I think Zach Martin was the first one, and he mentioned just communication. We're having some communication issues on offense. Now, right. Joe Looney's been in the league since he's 20, okay? Uh, Joe Looney's been in the league a long time now and might have learned for whatever that year. I'm sure he got a ton of experience and learned from that. Like, I do think he should be the front runner, should be the clear-cut guy. But I can't get out of my head. Those were some questions that were happening, and I was like, but how much do you think that was because of Frederick being so good and that like that's the thing is Frederick maybe physically was a good player, but he's just on another level in terms of communication, recognizing things. And that's like Looney was in such a tough spot that year because you can't that I mean, John, you you could speak speak to this better than I could, but Travis Frederick's best ability was his ability to line everybody up, get everything organized. So I I mean, that's a great point, KT. I just wonder how much of it was like it's not great communication compared to like the greatest communicator possibly at this position. Yeah. I'll say this. I yeah, the the one thing that particularly early on in Dak's career, I thought like Dak stepped in this amazing situation because he had this great offensive line, he had these veterans all around him. It was basically a team built for Tony Romo to take the team to the Super right. Bowl, and then he you know, the back injuries keep coming back. And so now Dak has to play 
And then he steps into this great role where he's got all these guys that he can rely on. He doesn't have to know everything about the offense like a Tony Romo, Tony Romo would have at the time. But see, every year that's gone by, Dak knows and learns more and more about this stuff. So I don't know that he needs to lean on Travis like he needed to in previous years because here's the other thing. Like the communication is a big part of it, no doubt. But like, let's not act like Travis Frederick last year was the Travis Frederick of old. Like he wasn't like, I mean, I know he went to the Pro Bowl, but like, I don't think that he really played at a Pro Bowl level. I mean, Tyron Smith went to the Pro Bowl. I don't know that he was necessarily, I don't even know if he was the best tackle on the team. Um, And so, you know, I'm, 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 don't get me wrong. They're way better off with Travis Frederick. That's to me, I've said before, and I'll continue saying it's their biggest loss this off season, but I think that they're better prepared just because it's kind of like, as the years go by, when you're a quarterback like that, like Dak is a guy, really smart guy. He's going to pick up on this stuff. He's probably learned so much stuff from Travis. I think he's probably better suited now to kind of pick up from there. And then Joe Looney having that season, I think they're in better shape now than they were in that particular year. So I think that helps out. Cause when I think it, Dak's progressions. I, I I keep going back to this. It's just really. It's not like Russell Wilson was just like leading the Seahawks in those early years, but he got to the level where he keep progressing, kept progressing, got better and better. And, and instead of the Legion of Boom defense carrying him, now it's it's Russell Wilson's team, and now they're putting pieces like he is the guy. And so, you know, that's that's where I look at with this. Like, and then I always go back to this. Like, hey, I'm sorry, you might not have five All Pro first round pick offensive linemen. Other teams win without this. You can too. You're like, you know, like, you, I don't understand why you have to have this star at all five <laughs> offensive line positions. Can you get by with like two or three stars and then two two other guys filling in? I don't get why it has to be, oh, oh, geez, you know, this guy's a third round pick. Why are, we, we can't even play this year. Like, I mean, we're going to start Joe Looney at center. Like, we, we can't win like that. We have to have five Hall pros, potential future Hall of Famers in the offensive line. Like, I don't know. Like, I just look at the, again, the Patriots, the way that they play. Like, they don't even really have any Pro Bowlers on the offensive line. And then they just continue to keep going back to the Super Bowl. I, that, so that le- that leans back on Tom Brady. Obviously, he gets them in and out of plays. He knows the game so well. That helps out a lot. So the longer Dak's around, the more it should help this offensive line. Yeah, no, you're right. I feel like uh, that take happens a lot. I think it's with every fan base, though. Like, I think it's with every fan base, but it's like, hey, sometimes. You can't have the Dr. Pepper. You have to buy the Dr. Thunder. <laughs> Does anyone get that sure fine foods joke? Oh, yeah, of course. Dr. Of course. Thunder. Dr. Dr. Thunder's great, you know. Hey, maybe Sometimes. I – John, you're from Detroit. Maybe I RC Cola instead of a okay. Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, there you I go. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you got to have you got to have some RC Colas guard, you know. You can't have all Coca-Colas. <laughs> I'm an idiot. How about this one from Colby on Twitter? <laughs> now, I'm interested in what media types Colby follows, but he says – a lot of the media types I follow <laughs> are thinking the Dak deal doesn't get done because of COVID-related cap concerns. What do you guys think there? If they don't end up with a deal, how do you think the cap stuff affects Dak's contract numbers next year? Uh, does does Dak have a deal coming up? Is there a deal with Dak? What's today? The 5th when we're recording this? Yeah, we got 10 does days. Does he not have a contract? Does he, he doesn't have a contract? Or what's what's the deal with him? Is he up, is he no, up for you a didn't contract? See the, you didn't see the Instagram post where he had a cowboy hat on? <laughs> thought it was over. Hey, I got, hey, I signed the franchise tag. Uh, here's my cowboy hat. That was such a weird post to me. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. If the cap goes down, the franchise tag numbers stay, though, because the franchise tag, according to the CBA, the franchise tag numbers are directly uh, in correlation with the top five salaries at the quarterback position. So those are there, and those aren't moving. So that would reek of 
Dak would be in good shape to just take the franchise tag and get the 100% guaranteed money. So Yeah, I'm leaning towards him just playing under the tag now. A few weeks ago, you know, I, I wrote an article. I talked to Joel Corey of CBS Sports, former NFL agent. He's great on this stuff. Um, and he was pretty confident that a deal would get done on July 15th at the deadline because, I mean, the Cowboys are notorious for doing these things. You know, the heat turns up the closer you get to the deadline. and But... Yeah, that's fine for most years, but this isn't like most years. And because of that, I just, I mean, <laughs> I was telling my brother this on the phone the other day. He was, we were talking about the DAC contract. Uh, yes. And, and Ari, it is up. This is crazy. I don't know if you've heard about this. <laughs> I have anyway, not heard. Um, I was like, why would anybody do any business right now? Forget football, forget Dak Prescott. Like who's making a major investment in anything right now just because of the uncertainty? Like I understand that, you know, there's people that are looking for and have found a cure and a vaccine for COVID-19. But like, still, it's not like there's anything that's on the horizon. Like, we don't know when that is going to be, you know, able to give, be given to people, you know, legally. So yeah. until we know any of the future of this, like, there just seems to be a lot of uncertainty. And then even like, if you're looking at it from the Cowboy standpoint, like, what if there are no fans in the stands? Like, what if they're, they don't even play a full season? What if they have, end up having to cancel the season because of some horrific things that happen? Like, I don't know. There just seems like there's so much uncertainty. And unless Dak is willing to go back with his representatives and come in at a lower price than the original, which I don't see Todd France and CAA doing that, it just doesn't make sense why they would do this right now from either side. I just don't see why Jerry Jones would want to do this right now. And I just don't see how CAA and Dak would be willing to take any less. I, I just, I think, I, I, I think it's under 20% chance, maybe even under. 15% chance that he, that he gets it done by July 15th. I just, I'll be surprised if it does now. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I kind of felt like the reason behind why Dak decided to sign the franchise tag when he did was because normally the closer you get to the deadline, the more the leverage skews toward Dak, you know, the closer you get, the more they're pushed to have to do a deal. In this case though, I, th I think because of all the uncertainty that there was just like it got, the closer it got to the deadline, the more unlikely the deal was because of just how much uncertainty still exists around the season. And look, the funny thing is, like, eventually we're going to have football again in 2022, 2023. And eventually they're going to, like, the NFL is going to go to the TV networks and they're going to have new contracts. They're all up after next year. And, and the cap is either going to go down a little bit or stay static this year into next year, but it is going to go up a ton over the next decade. Because of the new TV money. And who knows? Maybe it's Apple and Amazon getting under the bidding for, for NFL rights after 2021. But though the, the, I mean, they got like 11 billion in their last deal and they, they could double that. So, you know, eventually we will have football again and they will have new TV money and the salary cap is going to skyrocket by then. Tell me if you guys think I'm stupid. I'm glad you mentioned the TV money thing. So think about the owners, most of them, uh, older gentlemen. Right. Um, for the most part, there's still there's some younger guys, but most of these guys are older gentlemen. Think about how they were raised. Think about what they were brought up on the big networks. I do think this will be the last deal that's like this. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think your Apple TVs or your Amazons and your streaming platforms will still get their fair share of games. But I think the owners are going to make it still one more time. We need the networks to pump it out for us one more time. And then I think at the next time we did the TV deal thing in 2030 or whatever, I do think it – God knows what technology is like in 2030, by the way. My mind's spinning just thinking about it. But I do think your Fox, CBS, 
NBC, whatever, you know, ABC, whoever wants to get in on it. I think that those are your for one more time. And then well, it changes. John, and John, I mean, this is at the crux of the whole DAC thing, right? I mean, this is the 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 reason that they didn't want the longer deal was because it was going to stretch further into the new money, which they thought would be very, very cheap for DAC relative to what the market was getting. And so that's why they wanted a shorter term deal. And they said, if you want longer, you're going to have to pay us a ton more money because the cap's going to be that much. I mean, the cap and what it does is at the core of the DAC Prescott contract dispute. Yeah, not just DAC. I mean, it's for all quarterbacks. Right. So, and right. that also factors in too, is just like, what, like, I think, I think things might, would change if let's say recently Patrick Mahomes signed his deal or Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson got new deals or something. One of those guys, maybe it, but like, there's not really any business going on right now. I mean, especially look at the deal that Cam Newton right. just got, like there's not really any big money being handed out right now. And so because of that, I just, you know, there's obviously they're sitting back looking, Hey, let's see what, what happens. You know, maybe we'll play under the franchise tag this year and then see uh, what Patrick Mahomes gets. And not saying that Dak's going to get more money than him, but it obviously increases how much he could get. Um, if Patrick Mahomes resets the market. And so in that part of it, you see Dak and CAA be kind of like, well, I put, you played underneath the final year of your last deal, and this one's worth a lot more than that. So why don't not do it for one more year and see what we could possibly get in the offseason? But again, if it, there was no COVID-19 and this was a normal offseason, I think by July 15th, the Cowboys, you know, they cave on the whole four years instead of the five like they wanted originally. And, uh, and this gets done. But now, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just... Uh, it's not looking like that's going to happen right now. Okay, last question here. Um, this comes from Twitter. This comes from, is that at uh, KT Fun Tweets? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I've heard uh, of what, what is your favorite movie? Let's start with Kent. <laughs> what is your favorite movie? Kent? Do they use the About Them Cowboys hashtag? Did uh, they absolutely, KT? yeah. At okay. KT Fun, Fun Tweets did. Uh, now, Kent, obviously, Kent hosts a very popular movie podcast as well. So. Uh, Kent, what is your favorite movie? I always said my favorite movie, KT, is Fargo. Fargo's excellent. I rewatched that about two years. Well, no, I watched it for the first time two years ago because I watched all you know oh. three seasons of the FX show. Which, by the way, season four they're filming uh, with Chris Rock, Chris Rock. and Tim- Timothy Oliphant, and they had to stop it because of COVID. But they got like four episodes. Chris Rock did an interview, and he was like. This is the role I was meant to play. This is the best role I've ever had. So I'm really pumped up about Fargo season four. God, that's a great movie. I watched it like two years ago for the first time ever in uh, Outstanding. I'm so glad I did it. What about you, John? What's your favorite movie? So for me, I, I, it's got to go by rewatchable for me. So it's got to be something I can rewatch a lot. And so that takes out like... Like one of the best movies I've seen in probably the last 10 years is Room. I don't know if you guys seen it with Brie Larson. Like it's just an amazing movie. I don't ever want to watch it again though because it keeps you like on the edge of your seat and it's just like, I can't do this again. And so because of that, it's it for me, it's Blow with Johnny Depp. And the only reason why is because I can rewatch it a lot. It's super entertaining to me. It's about Johnny Depp plays this George Jung guy who uh, it's based on a true story, basically started selling pot and it, it <laughs> evolved into where he was the biggest cocaine dealer in the United States for a, a pretty good stretch. I mean, he was friends with Pablo Escobar for a while there and just Johnny Depp does a great job and Penelope Cruz. And it just is, I don't know. I love that movie. It's, it's, it's the only movie I've ever, I went to the theater and saw more than once when it first came out. I actually saw it three different times. So it's still, nothing's been on that level for me that I've liked as much as that. It's not, I'm not trying to tell you it's like the best movie ever, but for me personally, I've never watched a movie. I, I enjoy more than that. Both great movies. 
Uh, Kent, I'm with you on the Coen brothers, by the way. And so, I mean, I, I freaking love the Coen brothers. They're amazing. Anything they do. Fargo. Same. My, my, therefore mine is the big Lebowski. It is, uh, it's amazing. And I know it's like, I feel like it's kind of been overrated over the years by some people, but it, to me, it's just like John Goodman. That might be the greatest actor character ever in anything ever. He's just so freaking hilarious and good. And I just love everything he says. In that what, movie. What's your favorite scene in that movie? I mean, it's hard. I mean, maybe it's, I mean, it's probably, um, the, the market zero scene, even though it's like so, it's like a cliche, but it's just still so perfect. <laughs> this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> My favorite. First time I, first time I saw that, man, I loved the, uh, the coffee can scene with the, when he's dumping the ashes and the hugging on his beard. Some... <laughs> so good. Good night, sweet prince. So amazing. <laughs> and he, lo- he loved bowling. <laughs> um, for me, notice the question that I asked was not, uh, what do you think is the best movie of all time? It's what's your favorite? Right. My favorite movie of all time is Billy Madison. Speaking of Steve Buscemi, uh, is Billy wow. Madison. The idea of a grown man saying, you know what? I have to go through each grade in two weeks at a time, and I have to go make the good grades. That's a challenge I think I would like to do. I would like to take the first grade curriculum again. What would be hardest? What would you anticipate would be the most difficult grade beyond like high high school grades? Like what what of the coming up through junior high would be the hardest grades? Whichever one had like – Algebra two or one seventh of those. grade. Like I was the worst math. I could yeah. not do like. Well, wait, high school what are you math learning right though? Are you There's learning no today's what's going on in first, second, third grade? Are you learning like uh, like when I was there and in second grade we're learning cursive, like because no one's wasting their time with that stuff anymore. So like, are <laughs> you learning point. the now stuff? Or are you learning back then? Yeah, they have to give you a computer to check out at some of these schools. Like you yeah. go to school and you have your own computer like that. Like uh, I, I um, there's also I do think it's an amazing scene where it would only be allowed. <laughs> If you were in this like made up curriculum where you just get to go play dodgeball and just throw the ball as hard as you can at this kid who's talking smack like you go with with grown up powers to to get revenge on your bullies growing up, I guess. It's one of the most quotable movies ever, too, by the way. I made to be honest, I made the duck blue because I wanted to see a blue duck. (laughs) So great. Is that Adam Sandler's best movie? I think it is. Uh, I I, I like Happy Gilmore. It's Happy Gilmore, Madison, or Happy Gilmore, Uncut Gems. I like Uncut Gems too. Do you guys like that or no? Uncut Gems was awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I have not it. seen it. Yeah. I have not seen it, but I watched that. It's good. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's, it's kind of like it's, okay. It's so I, like again. Like I don't know if you've seen Room, and I'm not saying it's anything I have seen like Room. Room. Yes, but there is a certain level where you never really get to kind of take a deep breath. It like it keeps pretty steady throughout. And so again, like I really liked Uncut Gems. I don't know that I'm going to watch it. Like. A hundred more times, like I've probably watched Blow, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, for sure. thanks for answering all the questions that really <laughs> needed to be answered today, guys. Uh, appreciate you doing that. All right. Thanks for joining us. It was great to have you. Good to see you, man. It's been a while. So, Anytime. Uh, yeah. Good to see you, boys. Appreciate it very much. Thanks all for right. coming on. Thank you. All right. Go ahead and give your Twitter account out or any any way to, you know, yeah, promote just, yourself uh, here. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at RE Sports, ARI Sports, and follow my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash RE Sports. I do a lot of Cowboys videos. Absolutely. There's Ari Timken, the host of the Cowboys pregame show uh, on the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network. For Kent Garrison, for Father John the Machete Machota, I'm Kevin KT Turner, and also there was Ari as well. For, I'm going to do it again. For Ari Timpkin, for Kent Garrison, for Father John Mishota, 
I'm Kevin KT Turner, and this has been another edition of About Them Cowboys Quick.